The scripture reading for this morning is Genesis chapter 49. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good, and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path, that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, 
which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Let's pray. O God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I stand in awe of you today. I stand in awe of your mighty hand that's moved across the centuries for the glory of your name and the good of the nations. And I pray that you would help us today, Father, to have eyes to see and ears to hear the power of what's revealed in your word to us here in Genesis 46 through 50. Father, I pray that you would remove distractions from us. The heat is one distraction. And I pray that you would remove it from us, Father. I pray that you would allow us to focus on you and to focus on your word. Father, there are people in this world, even our precious loved ones in India, who deal with this every single day of their life, 24 hours a day, no escaping the heat. So we can deal with this for 40 minutes or so here. And I pray that by the grace of your Spirit, you would help us to do that so that we could focus on the eyes of our Father as he speaks into our hearts. Father, there are other distractions. There's sin in our lives. There's laziness in our lives. There are hopes and dreams in our lives that are making our minds wander. Some of us are just flat tired. Whatever the distractions are, Father, you know them. And I ask you by your grace and by your mercy and by your power to remove them now that we might see you and hear you and receive from you and worship you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. O God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, please come now and be our teacher. Open up our eyes that we might receive wonderful things from your word. Feed us, Father, with the bread that is true food and give us a drink that is true drink, your Holy Spirit. Nourish us that we might become more like Christ, that we would grow strong and mighty for the glory of your name and the good of the people in our cities. We trust you for this, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This now is the 23rd sermon that I have preached in Genesis, and this will be the last sermon in Genesis, at least for now. I'm sure in the future we'll return to this book in some way, shape, or form because it's such an important one. But for now, one of my great hopes in our journey through Genesis is that we would see the the mighty hand of God moving for the salvation of the world from the very beginning. More specifically, I have been praying and hoping for the last five months that we would see with fresh eyes that God had Jesus Christ in mind from the very beginning and that He is in the pages of Genesis. When we read Genesis and study it and meditate upon it and we see Jesus there, we're not reading something into the text Rather, we're seeing what's actually there. Jesus is there because He was in the mind of God from the very beginning. The life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the eternal reign of Jesus in the heavens was not plan B or C or D or E or F in the mind of God. It was plan A from the very beginning. So Christ Himself is in the pages of Genesis. You remember, not long after Jesus raised from the dead, he was walking down the road to a little town called Emmaus, and a couple of his disciples were there with him. 
and they were talking about various things, and he opened up the Bible to them, and the scripture says in Luke twenty four fifty seven that Jesus started with the book of Moses and went all the way through the prophets, and he showed, quote, in all the scriptures, all the things that are there concerning himself. So Jesus saw himself in the Old Testament, and he taught himself in the Old Testament. His disciples got the point. Because after he raised from the dead and ascended to the heaven, and they went out into the world to preach the good news of Jesus, here's how they started. Town by town, city by city, here's what they did. They went into the synagogues, and they opened up the Old Testament, and they preached Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. Among other places, you can see this in Acts chapter 18, verses 5 and verse 28. You can see that it says they used the Old Testament to show, to prove that the Christ was Jesus Himself. So they did not just teach the idea of a Messiah. They did not just teach the life of Jesus. They showed in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ Himself was there. Beloved, the way that the first apostles shared the Gospel in their cities was by opening up the Old Testament. And they showed Christ in the pages of that book. He is there. When we see Him there, when we read Him there, we're not reading into the Scripture. We're taking out meaning that's actually there. And how I pray that God would give us eyes to see our Master in the pages of Genesis because as we see that, we see that the mind of God and the hand of God had Christ in mind from the very, very, very beginning. Just like a farmer who's plowing his field. I talked to a farmer one day years ago and he told me that the way he keeps the lines straight is that when he's driving his plow, he fixes his eye on a fence post on the other side of the field and he does not take his eyes off that post so that the lines don't swerve to the left and to the right, but so that they go straight to that post. And in the same way, God Almighty fixed His eyes on Jesus Christ And He drove every single portion and part of history toward Jesus Christ until He in fact came. And even now, He's guiding all of history with His eyes firmly fixed on Jesus so that He does not swerve to the right or to the left. And I have prayed with all my heart for five months that we would see the mighty hand of God moving from the very dawn of creation toward Jesus Christ. Today, In Genesis 49, we are going to see one of the most specific and accurate and powerful prophecies about Jesus of anywhere in the book of Genesis. And I pray that God will allow us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that feel so that our breath is taken away. Beloved, 1,600 years before Jesus Christ walked this earth, God put words into the mouth of Jacob that prophesied about the extent of his reign and the spilling of his blood. And how I pray to God that we'll have eyes to see and hearts to worship him for what we will see today. Please turn with me to chapter 46. We're going to work our way up to 49, spend time there, and then I'm just going to pretty much breeze over chapter 50. And with that, we will be done with the book of Genesis, at least for now. At the end of last week's message, we sat stunned with Jacob as he learned the news that after 15 years of thinking his precious son Joseph was dead, that Joseph was in fact not dead, but he was alive and well and he was ruling in the land of Egypt. Joseph could not believe the news. In fact, I mean that literally, he did not believe the news. 
And so his sons pressed him and pressed him and told the story in great detail. And they showed him the blessings that Joseph had bestowed upon them and told them how Joseph had sent them back to their father until at some moment Jacob saw that God was in fact alive and well and that he had not been so cruel to Jacob as that he had once thought. He saw that Joseph was alive and that the blessing of God was upon him. And the Bible says his heart revived. Joseph had called him and all of his family and all of his possessions to come down to Egypt and to live with them there in the land of plenty. There had been a great famine in those days and people were suffering from starvation. And so Joseph said, come now and let me take care of you. And so in obedience to his son, or really the voice of God through his son, Jacob gathered all of his people and all of his possessions and they began to head down to Egypt. He stopped in a little city called Beersheba on the way down there. You'll remember that Beersheba was that place where Abraham had settled after God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, after that whole thing with Lot. You remember Abraham was confused and wandering around, but he ended up settling in Beersheba. Isaac was born there. Isaac was raised there. Isaac spent all the days of his life there. Jacob was born there. Jacob was raised there. He lived there till he was about 20 years old. Some years later, he came back and he built an altar there and he worshipped God. And so Beersheba, to this day, I believe, is one of the most holy cities on the earth. If I ever get a chance to go to Israel, honestly, I'd rather go to Beersheba than Jerusalem at this point. I just want to see the place where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob dwelt and received the powerful promises of God to which he has been faithful to this day. Well, Jacob went back to that place And he worshipped the Almighty. He worshipped the God of his father Isaac. And that night in the vision of a a dream, or somehow the Bible just says in the vision of a night, God appeared to him again now for a third time and spoke very powerfully into his life. And he said, Jacob, I am with you. I will multiply you. I will bless you. And then he spoke a very important sentence. He said, Jacob, don't be afraid to go down into Egypt. You'll remember that God had been very clear with Abraham and Isaac. He told them, do not leave the promised land. I have given this land to you and to your your, your offspring after you for an eternal possession. So do not leave this place. Jacob, therefore, must have had turmoil in his soul that now after about 200 years of time passed by, he was getting ready to lead his family out of the promised land. So God appears to him and says, Jacob, I'm in this. Be blessed. Be at peace. I am bringing you into years of blessing now after your years of suffering. So be at peace. I am with you. Go down into Egypt. Jacob, having now received the wisdom of God, the blessing of God, the grace of God, he now packed up all of his people, about about 70 people, the Bible says, with all their possessions, and they went down to Egypt. They had sent Judah ahead of them to, to sort of pave the way, and he did a good job of that. And when they came into the promised land, Joseph heard about it, and Joseph uh, had his chariot put together. You remember he, he had the second chariot in Egypt, so it was like Air Force Two, but Egyptian style. It was a, a chariot. And they got the whole thing set up in a royal fashion, and he made his way to see his father, whom he had not seen in 15 years. You remember that Joseph was the most precious son, the most favored son. The love between Jacob and Joseph was very deep. My daddy and I had a relationship like that. I was very, very close to my daddy. He died when I was 11. That's why I still call him Daddy rather than Dad. And I had deep, deep affection for him. And believe me, if I was to see him, I would feel just like Joseph felt this day. 
And when they saw one another, beloved, oh, they ran to each other and hugged one another and they wept together. The Bible says for a good long time they wept and wept and they praised God for His mercy that all these years they had thought He had forsaken them, but God was with them every single step of the way. And now they saw it with their own eyes. They knew that God was good, but they sometimes couldn't believe it. And now they saw, yes, indeed, God is good. And so they wept in praise and in joy. When this time of of weeping and of reunion was finished, Joseph worked with his father and with his brothers to settle them in a very choice part of the land. It was an area called Goshen. It's right at the north of Egypt. If you look on a map, it's right where the delta came out of the Nile. So it was a very fertile place, perfect for farmer shepherd types like Jacob. And Joseph wanted to settle his father there in the land of plenty, in the land of blessing. But first he had to get Pharaoh's blessing, which he did. And Pharaoh not only blessed this plan and gave Joseph and Jacob and all their family the best of the land, but he put their family in charge of his own flocks, which was a very, very great honor in that day, as you can imagine. And then God granted Jacob one of the most amazing privileges of his life. He came into the presence of Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And rather than having Pharaoh bless Jacob, God had Jacob bless Pharaoh twice. You'll see in chapter 47, verses 7 and 10, that Jacob spoke a blessing over Pharaoh, which is really quite surprising. You would think that if you came into the presence of the most powerful people in the earth, that they would speak the blessing over you. But the truth was that in the Spirit, Jacob was the greater because the hand of the blessing of God was upon him. And so God put a blessing in the mouth of Jacob for the life of Pharaoh. And I'll tell you why. It's because God is faithful to His promises, beloved. God had told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that through you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And here now is a partial fulfillment of that as Jacob, the old man, 130 years old, stretches out his hand and blesses Pharaoh, who in the flesh was more powerful than him. Having done this, the family did settle down in Goshen, and Joseph provided for all their needs, which is an amazing blessing. Beloved, much of the world was about ready to starve to death because of the famine, But here now, because of the grace and goodness of God, God provided for all of Jacob's needs. Praise be to His name. The rest of chapter 47 there, if you'll just breeze over it, I'm not going to say much about it. It tells us about how Joseph handled the famine, how he orchestrated things. And I just want to say three things here that I think are important. First of all, in this time of feast and famine, God solidified the leadership of Joseph so that after the famine was over, Joseph continued to be a ruler in Egypt. God exalted this man and left him in that position all the days of his life. His family suffered greatly for a season, but then they experienced great blessing for a greater season. And I see in that a metaphor of our lives. Paul said that one day when we see Jesus Christ face to face, all of the light and momentary afflictions of this world will pass away and we will forget them and we will enter into the land of plenty with our God and our Father, with our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing there to see is that under the leadership of Joseph, Egypt prospered greatly. And the idea here again is that through this family, the nations of the earth would be blessed. So Joseph led, and sure he had power, but the greater story is here that everyone around him, including the greatest nation on the earth, was blessed beyond belief because God was with Joseph. 
It was not about him being great. It was about God being faithful to his promises, even as he is to this day in our lives as well. Third thing you'll see there at the end of chapter 47 is that Jacob and his family did settle in Goshen, and they really settled. They planted deep roots. Look there in verses 27 and 28. You'll see that they gained possessions in the land. They were fruitful there. They were productive there. I take to mean that their crops grew a lot. They became very prosperous. And they multiplied greatly as a people. So get this picture in your mind that God is settling this family and causing them to grow roots into this area. And He's really planting them deeply and strongly there. It didn't happen overnight. If you'll notice in just those couple verses, 17 years passed by in a heartbeat. In just a heartbeat, God summarizes 17 years. Jacob is now old. He's 147 years old now. And though 17 years earlier he felt like he would be able to die because he had seen Joseph and he said, now that I've seen you, my son, I feel like I'm ready to die. But, but, he, but he didn't die then. He lasted another 17 years. But now at 147 years old, the time for his death did come about and he knew it. And so even though he was blind and had a hard time getting around, he called Joseph and he called his boys to come with him so that he might bless them before he died. And if you'll see there at the beginning of chapter 48, you'll see that when they came into the room, the boys were in their early 20s now, Manasseh and Ephraim. They came into the room with Joseph, and Joseph mustered up all the strength that he could, and he sat up in his bed, and he faced them, and he began by talking to Joseph himself. And he said this, he said, Joseph, when I was in the land of Canaan, God Almighty appeared to me, and He blessed my life, and He promised me that He would multiply me and make me fruitful and make me great, that He would give to me and to my offspring forever the land of Canaan. He spoke all these promises over me, even as He had to my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And now, Joseph, your sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, shall be as my own sons. They shall be as Reuben and Simeon to me. Beloved, what's going on here is that Jacob is exchanging the firstborn of his precious son Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. He's exchanging them for his own firstborn, Reuben and Simeon, who had sinned greatly. And I'll say more about that in a few minutes. I've been telling you for weeks that one of the great tensions in the book of Genesis from chapter 37 to 50 is who will inherit the promised blessings of God. To this point, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now who will be next? Who will inherit the blessing. And here we see that in the words of Jacob, Joseph, though he's one of the youngest sons, comes into the right of the firstborn. Please keep your finger in Genesis, but turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 5. First Chronicles chapter 5. I just want to look at verses 1 and 2. And I want to go here just to show you that in the words of Jacob, that they mean that Joseph inherited the, the right of the firstborn of this family. In Chronicles, in the first few chapters, the author has been detailing a number of the genealogies of the people of Israel. And in chapter 5, he comes specifically to Reuben, the oldest son of Jacob. And here's what he writes. He says, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Parentheses though. For he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, meaning he went and slept with one of his father's wives, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. 
Though Judah became strong among his brothers and a chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. So, even though his brothers hated him for it, even though he was the youngest, almost, he was the second youngest of twelve brothers, and even though the youngest wasn't the one to naturally inherit the birthright, the truth is that by the grace and hand and wisdom of Almighty God, Joseph came into the inheritance of the, of the right of the firstborn of the family. But, the answer to the question, who would come after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is not quite so simple as that, because we will see that in Jacob's words to the rest of his sons, he reserved another blessing, and even a greater blessing for another of his sons. So let's just hold on to that question of who is next for now, and let me turn our attention now to what Jacob does with his grandsons. Jacob all this time has been speaking to Joseph. Now he turns his attention to his grandsons, and he asks them to come close. He's blind. He can't really see, so he asks them to come close to him, and he tells them about his precious wife, Rachel. You'll see that there he tells them how his wife died and how he had to bury her. And what I see going on here is a man who is deeply in love with his most precious wife, so that even to his dying day at 147 years old, the thing on his mind is to tell his grandsons how much he loved their grandmother. That was the depth of the love of the heart of Jacob for his precious wife, Rachel. And then having said that, he brought the boys ever so close so that he could stretch out his hands and bless them. Joseph placed the oldest son so that Jacob's right hand of a strong blessing would be on the oldest son, Manasseh, and so that his left hand of weaker blessing would be on the second oldest son, Ephraim. But as we become to expect now in the Bible, as Jacob stretched out his hand to bless the boys, he crossed his hands over and put his strong hand of blessing on the younger son and his weaker hand of blessing on the older son. Joseph thought this was a senior moment. He thought he was being senile. And so he said to his father, Dad, you got it wrong. This is the older one. This is the younger one. But Jacob said to him, with his eyes shut because he's blind, he said, No, no, Joseph. I know what I'm doing. This is not senility. This is the will of God. The first will be last. The last will be first. Ephraim will have the greater blessing. Yes, Manasseh will be blessed and he will be blessed greatly and throughout history, beloved, he was blessed greatly. But Ephraim will have the greater blessing and that came to be true as well. Ephraim became one of the strongest tribes of Israel. In fact, the whole northern part of the Israeli kingdom became known as the house of Ephraim. He became the ruling tribe of the people of the north and you'll often hear them called the house of Ephraim or the house of Joseph. He was one of the two strongest tribes in all of Israel all because of the prophetic words of an old man who crossed his hands. The first will be last and the last will be first. He helped Joseph process all this. And then knowing he was really about to die, he called the rest of his sons to his side that he might bless them all in the hearing of all of them and then lay up his feet and go to be with his fathers. Chapter 49, beloved, is the pinnacle of the book of Genesis. And I'm telling you right now, I pray that God Almighty would take our breath away with the depth and beauty of what he is about to say through the mouth of Jacob to his sons. I'm not going to say much about all the blessings, but I want to quickly touch upon what he said to his first four sons. You remember that in this world, the firstborn son was always the one who inherited the blessing of the family, 
unless he did something to exclude himself. Now we know as readers that Joseph has inherited the right of the firstborn, but none of the brothers know this, beloved. They weren't there when Jacob was speaking to Joseph and his sons. So now they've come into the room. They don't know what's transpired, and they don't know what he's about to say to all the sons. They know Reuben has sinned greatly, but maybe Jacob will be gracious. Maybe somehow through the years Reuben has worked his way back into the favor of God and into the favor of his father. So what would Jacob say? And he opened his mouth and pretty much right away excluded that possibility. He said, Reuben, you are supposed to be in the place of honor, but you will not be in the place of honor because you defiled my couch with my wife. The mother of his sons, Dan and Naphtali, Reuben had slept with them. And just like Esau, beloved, for a moment of pleasure, Reuben threw away everything. And now, through the pronouncement of his father, the right of the firstborn was permanently forever removed from him as it is to this day. Having said that, the brothers probably sat stunned. And now Jacob turned his attention to his next two sons and he addressed them together. Why did he address them together, Simeon and Levi? Simply this, together his second and third sons had plotted against a city of people and had slaughtered every man in that city. You'll remember that one of the men of that city defiled their sister. He raped her. In their anger, they listened to their rage rather than to their reason. And rather than seeking justice, they sought retribution and they killed every man in that village. And now Jacob said, be far from me, Simeon and Levi. You will not come into my council. You will not inherit the blessing of the family. In fact, you won't inherit much at all. I will scatter you in Israel. We will see in the months to come, beloved, that is actually what happened to these tribes. In the words of an old man, a patriarch, a prophet, were found the will of God and the ways of God. And these things came to pass. So now we come to the fourth son. We come to Judah. He was not a perfect man. He had sin in his life just like all of us have. But he had not done anything so grievous as to exclude himself from the blessing like the other brothers did. So believe me, everybody in that room was sitting on the edge of their chair wondering, what will Father say to Judah? Will Judah get the inheritance? Again, I remind you, they don't know that, that Jacob has given the firstborn right to Joseph. They don't know this, so they're wondering. And beloved, I think even us as readers, we think that Judah's not going to receive much. But believe me, when we read these words, we will be both surprised and breathtaken because of what he said to Judah and because of the fact that Jesus Christ is prophesied through the words of Jacob to Judah. So let's look now and let's read carefully with our hearts and our minds as open as possible. Let's read verses 8 through 12 together. Oh, Father, help us to hear. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Remember the name Judah means praise. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness. And who dares to rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, plural, 
binding the foal to his vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture, vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. Let me just very quickly point out seven things and then I want to apply those seven things to Jesus Christ because he is the fulfillment of these words to Judah. First of all, notice one, that Judah's brothers will both praise and bow down to him. Yes, they bow down to their little brother Joseph. But in the end, they will also bow down to Judah, and Judah's honor will be much greater than Joseph, for his praise will last forever, as we'll see. Number two, Judah will rule over his enemies. He will put his hand on the neck of his enemies. In other words, no, no matter how fierce those who come against him, he will overcome them. It sounds like that word in the garden that he will strike your heel. Yes, but you will smash his head. Judah will put his hand on the neck of his enemies. Number three, Judah is a lion's cub. Keep that metaphor in mind, beloved. It becomes very important by the time we get to the book of Revelation. Number four, the scepter and the staff, the, the, the seat of ruling power, will never, ever, ever, ever depart from Judah. And all the obedience of the peoples will be his. That's point number five. Not only will He rule in a theoretical way, but the peoples of this earth will walk in obedience to Judah. That word peoples is not plural on accident. In the Hebrews, it's, it's plural. Which means that not only the people of Israel, but every nation of the earth would bow before and follow and submit to the tribe of Judah in fulfillment of the prophecy of God that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Number six, Judah will greatly prosper. This is the point of tying your donkey to a vine and to a choice vine. The idea is that most people tie their donkeys to a, a, an old post. You'll be so wealthy that you'll tie your donkey to a choice vine because your blessings will be abundant, abundant, abundant. And then finally, number seven, the pinnacle of the pinnacle. His garments will be washed in wine and in the blood of grapes. And I ask you, beloved... Who could be the fulfillment of these things except Jesus Christ Himself, the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth? Indeed, through the line of Judah, not Joseph, came the great kings of Israel, King David and King Solomon and all of their sons who reigned for centuries. And through that line of kings came the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ Himself, who will reign and rule forever and ever. Indeed, Judah, the little lion's cub, has put his hand on the neck of his enemies through the person of Jesus Christ, the most specific of, what, of which is Satan, whom Jesus Christ crushed on the cross when He died for our sins and was raised for our righteousness today. He rules over the kingdom of darkness his hand, right this moment, beloved, is on the neck of Satan and it will never be removed. Ever. Indeed, the little lion's cub, Jacob, brought forth the womb of Christ and that cub grew and grew and grew. So we see in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, that Jesus is called what? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Here's what John wrote. One of the elders said to me, 
Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And beloved, that Lion is none other than Jesus Christ Himself. He is in the pages of Genesis. The Lion of the tribe of Judah right now sits at the hand of God, the right hand of God to this very day. And in accordance with the prophecy to Judah, the scepter and the rod of ruling is in His right hand where He rules over the universe and all the nations of the earth. Believe me, Iraq and Iran and Libya and the United States and Russia and China are not so powerful as they think. But Jesus Christ rules and reigns this very day. Beloved, no no nation rises up or moves or falls without the command of Jesus Christ because He is the unrivaled ruler of all things. The prophecy of Jacob to Judah has come true in Jesus Christ. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. But even now, He reigns. And in this way, the word to Judah will be ultimately fulfilled that the obedience of the peoples of the earth will belong to Him. Even this very morning, beloved, millions of people like us have risen to submit their lives to Jesus Christ and not just worship Him and go away, but worship Him and follow Him, submit to Him, listen to Him, learn from Him, love from Him. Even this day, the obedience of the peoples belong to Jesus Christ because God was speaking in the words of Jacob to Judah. As God prophesied through Jacob to Judah, the great prosperity of the nations would come to Jesus. The kings of Israel were indeed prosperous, but all of their wealth was as nothing compared to the wealth of Jesus Christ. To this day, He is mighty and He is wealthy. And finally, beloved, as Jacob prophesied, One day the Holy One of Judah did wash his garments in the blood of grapes. He spilled his blood and his vestiture was red so that each of us would become white. We were black. He spilled the red blood so that we would become white and holy as could be. Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. I want to read a few verses here and bring our time to a close. The point of reading these verses is to show you that I'm not making this up, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of these things. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on His head are many diadems or crowns. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which He is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. From His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. On His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. O beloved, may we have ears to hear. 
May we have eyes to see. May we have hearts to receive and lips that are willing to praise God. 1,600 years before Christ walked the earth, God Almighty prophesied His coming, His reign, and the spilling of His blood because from the very beginning of history, God had His eyes fixed on Christ and He was custom designing and moving everything in history toward the point of Jesus Christ. In the words of Jacob to Judah, we have the words of God to the nations with regard to Jesus Christ and how I pray that we would bow before Him and worship Him. As I said, the name Judah means praise. So Jesus Christ is the lion of praise. And believe me, when that lion roars, he is roaring the praises of God that say, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come, who has controlled all of history and who reigns over all things and will reign forevermore. And how I pray that we will enter into that praise. Let the lion of the tribe of praise ignite your heart with praise of Him and of His Father. After these words, beloved, I don't know what the brothers thought. They must have been stunned. Maybe some of them didn't get it. I don't know. But Jacob spoke blessing over the rest of his sons, and then he put his feet up in the bed and he died. We're all going to die at some point. And Jacob died at 147 years old. The mourning for him was great. They brought him up to Egypt and they buried him in the tomb with Abraham and Sarah, with Isaac and Rebekah, and with his wife Leah. Not with Rachel, but with Leah. And there he rested. And probably since he was embalmed somewhere, his body is resting still to this day. I don't know. But he rested with his fathers in the land of promise. After that, Jacob or Joseph and his brothers came back to Egypt. They made a final peace with each other. Rejoicing in the fact that what the brothers had meant against Joseph, God had meant for their good and for the good of the nations. And they lived the rest of their days in peace and in love with one another. And when the time was full, many years later, Joseph himself died and asked to be buried, not in Egypt, but to be buried in the land of Canaan. And we'll see how that goes after I get back from vacation in a few weeks and, and, and get into the book of Exodus. We'll see how that goes. But for now, Jacob has died. Joseph has died, and the great hope of the sons of Israel was in the words of Jacob to Judah with regard to Jesus Christ. One day, one greater than Judah would come who would rule and reign the nations and spill His great blood for us. May we see and may we believe. Let's pray. Our God and Father, it's hard for us in our flesh to stay focused in our spirit when the elements in a room are like this right now, but I pray that by the Holy Spirit you would speak these things very deeply into our hearts and into our minds. Father, I pray that we would determine to spend some time meditating on your words to Judah through Jacob. And I pray that as we, would, as we do, that you would reveal your strong and mighty and gracious hand to us in Jesus Christ. Oh God, please show us who you are. Please show us how faithful you are. Please show us that as you were faithful to them in that day, you are faithful to us in this day. Please show us that as you brought about the promises to them in their day, you will bring about every promise to us in our day through Jesus Christ and for the glory of your name. Oh, Father, open our eyes that we might see, I pray. And I pray this in confidence, in joy, and in hope because I know that you're on our side. So it's in the great and gracious name of Jesus Christ that we pray with joy. Amen.